0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nakum Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us, gang. Well, it is that time of year. It is time to get set for the 2020 NFL season, which means preview specials yep yeah, we keep it optimistic we are charting that cause that the season is going to start on time which means over the coming weeks we are dropping pods into your podcatcher of choice getting you set for the season all the key stories all the key narratives division by division they are coming your way and leading us off part one of our afc preview who else but Iron mike carlson in the house let's get straight to it Carlson, welcome to 13 Things You Need to Know About the AFC, uh, courtesy of you, Mike Carlson. So I hope you've got your 13 Things, otherwise we're going to be in some kind of trouble.
1: Yeah, well, if I don't, I just have to tap dance a bit, you know, and it is steamy down here. Unfortunately, I'm so cool that my sweat freezes before it gets out to my skin.
0: You were as cool as Iceman in Top Gun. Iron Mike. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, don't you remember the great line from Top Gun when he goes, you're dangerous, Maverick. And he said, that's right, I am dangerous, Iceman.
1: <laughs> one of the all-time great moments in... Uh, in yeah, uh, it's, another, it's another one we have to explain to Ali, the producer, after we're finished recording.
0: Very good point. And Mike is referring to when we were getting set to record today and my new buzz cut, which those of you watching any of the videos here on social media at the NC Show, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, will see I've got a a buzz cut. And uh, Ollie made a a joke or two about it, I think pretty early doors as we were getting set. And I made a reference to Full Metal Jacket by Stanley Kubrick, which uh, went straight over his non-buzz cut head, Mike. (laughs)
1: Kind of like Top Gun flying at 30,000 feet and Ollie sitting on the ground.
0: Hey, they're making a Top Gun reboot, but we can't get into that now because we've got 13 things uh, that you need to know about the AFC to get into. So, Carlson, our longtime listeners know you, they love you, they are waiting with bated breath for your insight, but they also know, and I'm going back to old school Americanish days and plenty of other situations where you and I have done a three things, or five things, there's seven things, or five points, and... Maybe tend to be a little bit generous with the, with the, the number of points in there. So are, we, are, we, are you disciplined? Are you on this thing? It's sticking We're to the. 13, dis- right? We're
1: absolutely disciplined, although I will be open to as many follow-up questions as you <laughs> wish on <laughs> each and every
0: point. That, that's exciting. Okay, good to know. All right, let's kick things off. We'll start uh, in the AFC East. And we'll start with the New England Patriots, because quite frankly, they've had quite a quiet time of it over, over the last five or six months. It is the end of an era, Mike, but the start of a new one.
1: We've talked about it before. and Tom Brady's loss. That's 20 years of, of him and Belichick. Loads of questions to be answered. Not only how they play, but I think people will watch Bill's season and Brady's season to try to determine whether their success was more quarterback or coach oriented. I mean, to me, that doesn't matter. Um, You know, obviously it was the teamwork and most of the great coaches we associate with great quarterbacks, Paul Brown and Otto Graham, uh, Joe Joe Montana and Bill Walsh, you know, not quite Bart Starr and Vince Lombardi, but you know um, they sort of go, they sort of go together. So I'm not that I'm not that worried about that. But the thing with the Patriots is it is the end of an era because COVID has taken away a number of their other players. They've got a real rebuilding job to do. They brought Cam Newton in, and for a a while before COVID came up, everybody was saying, well, now the Patriots are going to be favorites again in the division. Well, I still think Cam will make a really positive impact, but the defense, which was the best in the NFL last year, is probably not going to be that this year. And That's a real serious problem because last year their ends really didn't generate that many points uh, especially in the second half of the season and cam can cam generate more points i don't know they've been starting to sign guys because they've got roster spots open with the covid opt-outs but nobody who really i think makes an impact so far
0: let's look at well i want to drill down more in terms of defense and and, you know chung hightower not just proficient players on the field but leaders in the locker room uh, as well but if we start with cam how different is this offense going to be stylistically? And Cam's made the point already in, uh, you know, in various places preseason that, well, McDaniels hasn't had a player like me before. So how do you expect the, the offense to differ with Cam as opposed to the one with Brady?
1: Well, I, there is no offense with Brady. That's the first point to remember. The Patriots change their offense virtually every week. And Brady was adept at playing dink and dunk, uh, no running game at all. The uh, two years ago, they ran with uh, in the, the successful part of the season, they ran with multiple tight ends. They did power blocking. They ran play off action off that last year, I think the problem was Brady didn't trust any of his receivers and, and probably didn't give them a chance. So that limited what they could do. I think the playbook is wide open with Cam Newton. And I think Josh McDaniels will take advantage of that. Uh, I think it gives him more options because he can run Cam if Cam's fully healthy and they're willing to take that risk. And we saw, you know, when they had Jacoby Brissett, they ran the ball a little bit with Brissett in those two games he started. So they can run option if they want. Uh, They can roll him. They can drop him back. Cam's got, You know, he's got the arm, his half year in Carolina was his probably statistically his most successful of all time passing. He had a 67 or something percent completion uh, percentage with the Panthers before he got hurt again. Mm -hmm. And they were running it. You know, they were running a pretty well patterned offense. So I'm not worried about that at all. You know, they need to find receivers. Uh, for him they need to find a tight end Uh, you know the two draft picks two undrafted free agents they really don't have anyone they can depend on at the the position Uh, and it appears that Sonny Michelle is going to be out at least for the start of the season Uh, so they need to find a running back they just signed Lamar Miller Mm. um, who's been around but is a you know is a a decent running back in
0: terms of the the weapons that he's got then because you mentioned uh, Edelman of course leading the pack by a country mile last season in keel Harry the rookie was disappointing although we know it's difficult to to break out as a rookie wide receiver most Sanu, disappointing in different ways because given what you said about the uh, the reliance and and the respect and the trust rather that Brady needed with his receivers he figured that would be you know hand in glove and it didn't quite play out like that so is it I mean, clearly they all need to step up right Harry needs to break through Sanu needs to be back to his slightly more reliable self there's a little bit too much reliance on upside from too many weapons right it doesn't seem to be a huge amount around cam
1: i think that's a fair point to make marquise lee is already gone you know right. who, they, who they signed um and they've got a bunch of guys competing in effect to be the the second slot receiver or the designated slot receiver but the question's still what happens on the outside uh, edelman and Sanu are both more effective when they're either in the slot or coming through the slot, you know, coming in motion and then playing out of of that slot position. And they don't really have a set outside receiver, you know, on the other side. Um, I don't think I don't really think that uh, Jacoby Myers would be the answer because I don't think he can get open enough. He's got good hands. He runs good patterns, but he just doesn't have the foot speed to get open. And and so now you're talking about, can somebody make a jump up? The one thing in their favor is that there won't be that reluctance that Tom Brady showed last year to throw to some of these guys. And, and, you know, in their last playoff game, Tennessee took Edelman out of the game and Brady basically had to throw to his secondary receivers and it didn't work very well. So I think I think it's a clean slate for those guys. It's going to be a big jump, definitely.
0: Defensively, we mentioned the loss of Chung and Hightower. Add Jamie Collins to that list. Of course, Van Noy as well. So there are a lot of veterans that were in this exceptionally good defense last time around that are gone. So how is it shaping up? How close can they get to the way that they performed last season defensively?
1: See, I, I think that's going to be a real problem. Um, you know the core of the defense last year was the secondary and the secondary played so well it gave them it gave the front seven time to produce pass rush the way the patriots usually do by scheming rather than by having um you know a gold a gold star pass rusher who can beat any any tackle one on one but you know with the losses they suffered before covid and then you add on um the uh, the Chung and um Hightower. Hightower. uh losses. They really have a lot of slots to fill. And they went you know, they went heavy on um linebackers with Jock with Josh, Josh Uchi and um um the guy uh, the guy I um, really liked a lot, Ann Fernie Hardaway from Alabama, who reminds me a lot of um, of Hightower. But but none of those guys is probably willing or ready, I should say, to step in to those roles because it takes a bit of time to learn that stuff. So it's last year's guys like like Chase Winowski, who really have to step in and take over a role where you would have thought – they'd be alternating in and and being moved in slowly with Hightower still present. Um, You know, I think they will be okay up front, but, but that linebacker group is going to be a real problem to, to play at the same level and teams will attack that, you know, they're going to know that. And, and things, That Chung costs them, although Adrian Phillips, who they signed as a free agent, might might jump up the uh, pecking order as as a result of this, is that Chung plays a lot like a linebacker. You know, he's he's that he's the big the the heavy guy in the heavy nickel. Um, He can line up on a tight end. He'll line up in in one of those kind of robber positions that um, comes, you know, to take away. Uh, crossing routes across the middle, and he's very good at it. Uh, he's not so great one-on-one coverage, but that's okay because they don't put him in that situation that much. So I think that's going to be uh, the, the secondary problem, but the big one is linebackers.
0: Okay. So the Patriots clearly not uh, at the same level that they were last year, and they, it wasn't a vintage uh, Belichick uh, incarnation we saw last year, but they still benefit, of course, from being in Principle, anyway, one of the easier divisions in uh, the NFL in the AFC. So let's move on to point number two. Let's look at the the contenders for the division, uh, and we're going to talk Jets a little bit later on. So let's laser in on Buffalo, who, who quite clearly that uh, amongst the favourites for the division, and an emerging Miami. That's your second point, Mike.
1: Yeah, um, and Buffalo, I think probably our favourites for this division. Um, the question really for Buffalo, you know, as with so many other teams, is how far their quarterback's going to take them. Um, they seem, you know, it's funny because Sean McDermott was at Carolina when Newton was there. He was at Philadelphia when they had Donovan McNabb. And Allen is kind of that same skill set, although he's not as good a passer as either of those guys. Um, last year, their defense was so good that they could basically win any game they could hold the, op- the opposition to less than 17 points. Right but they had trouble scoring more than that under you know unless they were playing a bad defense. So um they've tried to pick up their offense by uh mostly by adding Stefan Diggs. I think that that was the that was the huge move um for them. But they've brought in a bunch of ex Panthers like Josh Norman the biggest name, you know, and Mario Addison and and, and Brian Cox and you know they're they're guys who know um McDermott system. I think AJ Klein was a good addition. Um, Vernon Butler is another ex-Panther. You know, they're loaded with talent on the defense. It's probably going to be, be a, good, um, a good solid defense again. And the question is simply whether they can um, produce offensively. You know, now that they've got Diggs, who's a genuine number one um, receiver, uh, you know, is that enough? They have got John Brown going deep. They got Cole Beasley going across the middle. Uh, they drafted a guy called Gabriel Davis, who is kind of like a uh, Zay Jones type, except he, I think his hands are better. Um, but he can he can kind of fill those intermediary routes. And um, you know, I think that's a big question, though. I'm, I'm you know, the to me the question, and I, and I'll say this probably with three or four other teams is. Are they a team that's about to turn the corner or go over the hump? Or are they a team who have maximized what they've got and may not be any better than that? You know, I think Diggs will be a big help in getting them over the top. But, you know, that, that does remain to be seen. Okay, well, when you look at the Diggs
0: acquisition, he's one of the best receivers on the market. And that was so identifiably the huge hole in, in their makeup offensively other than, as you say, Allen's inconsistency. And Allen clearly isn't the finished article. He said something I want to key in on, Mike. He said, you compared Allen to McNabb and said he's not as good a passer. Can he become as good a passer? Has he shown you enough in terms of what you've seen in his early stages of his NFL career that he is improving in that respect?
1: That's, I haven't seen it myself. Now, admittedly, I haven't watched all the Bills games, but I've watched a lot of the big ones. Um, And, he still seems to me like a guy with a strong arm who lacks touch, but even more so anticipation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and therefore he's one of those guys who holds the ball an instant too long to make sure the receivers open. And then he's got the strong arm to drive it in, but sometimes too strongly. So, um, you know, I, I, I wonder. They depended a lot on his running last year. And as long right. as he stays healthy, that's a legitimate enough thing to do. Um, you know, he's better, I think, say than Bobby Douglas, but that's the kind of mold that he's in. Um, and it, it's interesting, too, because they drafted um, Jake Fromm mm-hmm. in, uh, in one of the middle rounds. And, you know, Frum is, is a guy without a big arm, but he's accurate and anticipates well. And, you know, he beat out, At Georgia, he beat out Jacob Eason, who got drafted, who had a big arm. Jacob Eason's a bit like um, Allen without the running ability. And Justin Fields, who went to Ohio State, um, you know, and, and has done pretty well. So in that sense, it's interesting to see that they picked him who would require a somewhat different format of offense unless they're going, unless the plan is to sort of keep Allen in a more Structured kind of offense depending on, on quick release and quick reads of patterns. And that to me would be the most interesting question. You know, a West Coasty kind of offense, is that what's going to happen in Buffalo? And I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't think we'll see it probably till they, till they hit the field. But um, mm. it's, um, it's, it's a really good one.
0: In terms of schedule, that's a, a point that I'm hearing raised a lot, uh, and, and specifically Buffalo, the teams that it is applied to, saying, well, last year they had a more straightforward schedule. They definitely got a, a, a more difficult one this year. I, I guess that, that could be overstated a little bit because obviously there's, uh, depending on the team, there can be quite significant change, and certainly there is always change in, in the team. But interestingly, in terms of uh, Allen and this offense, against past defense in particular. Ollie, our producer, incidentally, has been super busy. Uh, we should salute him and give him props. All kinds of big-time stats we're going to drop in. Oh, wow. The show. Here's the first one. Drop in the big guns from Oli. Uh, the Bills play the eighth easiest schedule of past defense in 2019. <laughs> Flip that on its head, it's the eighth toughest. And that, I guess, sort of connects very much with the overall uh, difficulty of schedule that they've got this time around. How big a problem do you think that's going to be?
1: It's a problem. Um, but, but, you know, it those stats are always based on last year's performance, and yeah. that's like like with stock market investments, It's no guarantee that that mm-hmm. uh that that will hap- that will happen again and uh, I think the next team we get to the dolphins are an indication of that because I think the dolphins will be a much improved team um and you know the bills floundered they played the Patriots tough twice and lost both games, but they floundered basically because the Patriots pass defense took advantage of them, um, you know, and almost in the second game, dared Josh Allen to beat them through the air. You know, we're going to give you this uh, see if you can take it. And Allen, you know, missed an open receiver in the end zone at one point, um, you know, didn't see another one, missed someone in a, on a big sidelines pass. So, it's it's a valid point, you know. It's it's like it'll be a strategy to go in. Don't mm. let um, don't let don't let Alan, don't let Alan beat us, uh, or even better, let's see if he can beat us.
0: In terms of his ground game, you mentioned Mikey. You know, obviously one of the most prolific uh, quarterbacks with his legs. How much will defenses have worked out? Because they always get smarter, and the more tape they've got on you, the harder it is to, to play against them. How much will defenses have worked out? Do you think about? the way that the Bills use Allen offensively as a runner.
1: It's a good, it's a good point because it affects the way you rush him as a passer as well. And obviously from what I was saying before, you don't want to give him loads of time. You you want to make him throw before he's fully convinced the receivers open. Um, he, he's got a great arm, so he doesn't have to be perfectly set to make those throws. But, um, the risk with that is if you pressure him too much, he'll, he'll turn around and run around you. And, you know, they, they should still have a good ground game this year. Yeah, right. Um, you know, um, Frank Gore's gone, but... Um,
0: Singletary's back.
1: Um, Singletary's yeah. back, and they drafted Zach Moss, who's a pretty good college runner. So, you know, um, I, I think they could actually be a very dangerous team running play action because Allen can throw on the run, you know, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them do a lot of that.
0: Uh, Singletary, incidentally, averaging 5.3 yards of carry uh, last year. Um, So uh, blue up on the scene, I think it's fair to say. Speaking of which, that is what the Miami Dolphins are hoping (laughs) that Chua Tungabailoa will do. Although, when are we going to see him, Mike? Are we going to see a a whole season of fits or (laughs) half a season of fits? What do you reckon?
1: I think it depends on two things. Well, three things, really. One is if they think he's ready. Um, two is how healthy he is. And three is how well Fitz plays. Sure. Um, remember, they brought Chan Gailey in as their offensive coordinator this year. And Gailey's got history with, with Fitz. You know, he knows, he knows him well. He knows how to make... You know, things, things work, I think, for, for him. Um, and that's, it's one of the things Chan Gailey kind of likes. is a quarterback who can throw on the run, who can move. Um, you remember, what was his name in Kansas City? Um, they, he had the quarterback, and they ran, they ran um, kind of from the pistol formation. Um, not Tyrod Taylor, but his name was alliterative like that. Um, and, um, you know, that worked pretty well on a pretty bad team. But this is such an improved team. That and the coaching at the end of the year, you know, everybody was saying. I got. We talked about it last year. I was sick from the start of tank for Tua. I said, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just not going to happen. But they played so hard, and then got so much better by the end of the. I mean, they they beat New England two years in a row. Right now, you can say, okay, the end of the season, looking past the game, but still, um, you know, they beat them. They beat them straight up in the last game uh, this year, and I think that they are a much with a lot riding on it as well i mean which is yeah a, for the patriots, yeah it was important it, it was important for the patriots again, it was rubber, important yeah. for miami to get out of that draft spot too um mm-hmm. but you know they, they came up with a the guy they really you know they want they wanted um and and i don't i don't see how you can criticize them for taking tua but because they had three first round draft picks and you mm-hmm. know uh, you might say that They didn't get the best tackle they could have. You might say they didn't get the best corner they could have with those other two picks. But I have a lot of faith in Flores' ability to see what guys he thinks can be coached, and I have a lot of faith in Chris Greer working together with him in that kind of synchronicity between a a GM and and a coach. So, you know, at the moment, I give them the the benefit of the doubt. They've got – plus, they in Detroit each have 12 expatriates on Mm -hmm. their – Eighty-man roster.
0: Connecting factor there, yeah.
1: Yeah, so you know, and they they got Van Noy, and they got yep. Landon Roberts. You know, yeah. and and that's that will probably help them a lot. They've got a bunch of defensive backs who were like practice squatters with the Pats and stuff like that. Mm. But you know, I, I just look at that team, and and to me, if their offensive line can be put together, which is why um, they took Ted, Ted Karras from the Patriots. Um, Why they drafted a tackle in the first round, a a guard in the second round, another guard in the fourth round, um, you know, to give themselves some depth there. If they can find a combination of five that work together well, then you've got, you know, um, Matt Breida. Running behind them, you've got Jordan Howard. Because they got to gotta sort
0: that out. Because and yeah. Flowers was the other, other name they brought in, of course, as well, and it shifted to, to guard from tackle. But last year, Fitz led them in rushing yards, two hundred and forty-three. I mean, it was there. It was appalling their their running game.
1: So yeah, and four. that was a lot. A lot of that was down to the line, you know, and right? and, and a lot of Fitz's running was down to running for your life. Um, you know, <laughs> not not designated runs. Mm. Um, but but like I say, I think now if they can get that the pieces of that line, they've got more talent than they had last year. If those pieces can be put together. They've got breeder running behind it. They've got jo- um Jordan Howard who yep. when you go up to New England in December or Buffalo in December is going to be valuable. Um you know because he he can lug the ball um along and you know they they're pretty well they're pretty well set at receiver as well. Um Jasicki obviously had a big year so they've got they've got the kind of tight end who can create matchup nightmares um and I think Alan Hearns is gone now, but they still got Devontae Parker. Um, and Preston Williams, a, couple, a
0: lot of people are hoping. Yeah, I like
1: Preston know. Williams last year. Um, and I like a guy they didn't draft this year but signed, um, Kirk Merritt from Arkansas State, who, who I think has a lot of talent. Now, it's always – you really shouldn't count on any rookie – most rookie receivers, and you shouldn't count on any undrafted rookie receivers. But I think of all the undrafted rookie receivers, he's probably got a good shot. Um, at making it, and, and defensively they played well, and they will be better this year. Um, and Flores is, I think, is a really good defensive coach, and he knows he knows what he wants. He's got a couple of pass rushers that upgrade that from last year. he's still got. Christian Wilkins up front, Um, you know, he's got a pretty, pretty decent set with Byron Jones coming in a pretty decent set of cornerbacks now. Um, You know, I I just I just like the look of of this team and, and would not be surprised to see them, you know, challenging at the top. I think it's a three way race in this division.
0: Which, uh, which, which takes us to, nicely to the next point, uh, which means the New, York, <laughs> <laughs> the New York Jets are not in that three-way race, I'm guessing. But it's interesting because, as you've just described over the last five minutes, there's a lot of optimism and buzz about Miami, and it was a lot to do with Flores taking a team that everybody thought was going to be hapless and had, had gone through a complete fire sale, of course, this time last year of all its best assets and and contended. And, and even in games that they lost, to the most part, contended. And they ended the season strongly as well. Well, the Jets ended the season strongly too, Mike. They ended at 6-2. and two. So why is everyone so down on them?
1: It, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because you, you can see that um, um, there's a stat out there somewhere that you know they're 0-6, when, when Sam Darnold doesn't start mm-hmm. in, in his time with the Jets so that they're actually um, a, a better team. And um, I, I liked what they did to an extent in the offseason, um, which was to address the defense um, through free agency for the most part and uh, address the offense more in the draft. And Mekdi Becton, obviously, is, is one of the key men there because they're um, – their offensive line has, has not been very good, but you know, the whole, what I think what gets people a little bit dis disappointed um, is, is the whole, the whole business um, with first losing Jamal Adams. Mm -hmm. um, And secondly, um, well, you know, now they've lost CJ Mosley who they, they paid a lot of money for last year and, and got hurt and didn't, and didn't play. Um, But the Adams thing was really, I think they were prepared for it because they took Ashton Davis um, in round three and he's a a safety who can play either safety, which is something they like to do. You know, Adams and, and, um, and may were almost interchangeable. You know, Adams was more up in the box, but, but they were pretty much interchangeable as what they did. And, and they also, um, I like a lot, um, shaiheim carter from alabama because he um was sort of their star in in that that's like um a sort of combination of a slot corner and a linebacker Mm -hmm. so that that's going to give them some flexibility at the safety position Mm -hmm. um and they brought in because their assistant gm used to be at the colts he he left the jets to go to the colts and then came back they brought in a bunch of defensive backs led by pierre desir from Mm -hmm. the colts which ought to help their um which ought to help their defensive backfield. Um, you know, they've still got a lot of um, top draft guys up front. They seem to be draft one every year and then let them go. <laughs> <laughs> after after a couple. But Joe Douglas, I have a lot of respect for in terms of player evaluation. Um, he was very good at it in Baltimore and in Philadelphia be, before that. And I think the pressure right now, if there's one person in the NFL who you could say has extreme pressure, I would say it's Adam Gaze, um, because he's got to make a playoff run with this team. Um, and if he can't um, I, I would imagine that he 's gone, and Greg Williams could be in line you know, he 'd probably be lobbying for a, another headshot.
0: take the gig, but on Adam Gase, Mike, how
1: much of it do you think is down
0: to um, optics you know because he 's quite an uncomfortable uh, character in front of the media he 's also clearly quite dogmatic, likes confrontation and that 's how he seems to approach things in miami and, and seemingly in in New York as well, and because of the the, the focus in in such a big media market as, as new york that doesn 't always play out very well and i I, look i'm not comparing adam gaze to belichick here but if you look at belichick's time in cleveland do you draw some parallels there that he's just not connected with (laughs) with the fans and 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 the team isn't successful
1: well if he was belichick in cleveland then they would have won the nfl last year um, (laughs) as he'd be belichick in new england um but I I know what you're saying, but I think, I think a lot of that is reflected also in his coaching, not just Mm -hmm. the way that he deals with, with, with the uh, media or whatever, but in the way, the way that he coaches and they really do seem to be a team. His teams always seem to be teams that do just enough to lose in a lot, in a lot of cases. I know. Yeah. They went six and two the last half of the season. Um, That's great. But you know, who leads the league, in seven-yard gains on third and eight, um, you know, who, <laughs> right. it's always Adam Gaze, you know, and so the stat lines look good. They pull. I think, I think they're in a situation where, like, like Buffalo, and potentially like Miami, their defense can keep them in games, and it's then up to the offense um, to win them for them. And getting a starting tackle was a good step. Denzel Mims could be a kind of Robbie Anderson replacement. Um, I'm not convinced of his hands, but, but, you know, there's, there's also those situations where when you look at the thing in, in the abstract, you lose Robbie, Robbie Anderson, say and you bring in Denzel Mims. If everything works, you're still where you were when you started, you're, you're treading water, you know, sure. you're, you're not, you're not moving forward. And that's, that's one of one of the problems there. But, um, but like I said, I, I'm probably being a little, a little too hard on, on the jets. And, and a lot will depend on who comes in and, and plays that safety spot. Because when you think of the way that Greg Williams likes to blitz and and blitz in all circumstances, there's a lot of pressure on the defensive backfield to be both flexible because some of them will be blitzing. Adams was a really good um, blitzer from, from the defensive backfield, but it's also, a lot of them are going to be caught in, you know, press man situations all over the field, that kind of thing. So, I think they're they're going to be. That's a good division to watch, mm. um, and I think with the Patriots come down, it turns into a pretty balanced division as well. Well,
0: absolutely, and I guess you know that is good, everyone's saying, well, it's a straightforward division for Buffalo because the Finns are in and the Jets are in there, but the Jets will look around and say, well, this is a, a, certainly a fairer fight than it has been in in recent years. So we shall see. Lev Bell, of course, a lot resting on his shoulders. He is uh, being, talked
1: about a lot <laughs> you know, uh, and I think it's I think it's probably significant in a way that I didn't even mention him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, did, cause
0: you wanted me to dive into the only the producer stats again, because Lev Bell, uh, 3.2 yards per carry. Let's compare it to what I just said a moment ago about, uh, Devin Singletary he didn't have a run of over 20 yards the entire season. And if you connect this with, uh, the, the point you alluded to earlier, Mike, the Jets were a last or first, depending on which way you cut it in the NFL, with uh, average yards to go on third down, over eight yards to go on. Yeah, third down. which,
1: yeah. which, which is it? why, which is when they get seven, you know, and yeah, right. I mean, it tells you something. If you're number one running backs, Le'Veon Bell, and you yeah. go out and you sign Frank Gore. Who's 48 years old, you know, or whatever, and which is no knock on Frank Gore. You know how much I I love We've back in the day, I mean, this is one of the things we were still doing Channel 5 when I did that whole um analysis of what makes Frank Gore so good, Uh, you know, up up on the up on the up on the green screen, my inside inside the the huddle, yeah, my inside the huddle thing.
0: It reminds me of the um the bit coming to America when. Uh, Eddie Murphy and our senior hall are playing, I think all the characters in the barbershop and they're talking, and it's Murphy, isn't it? Uh, c- c- talk about Joe Lewis and how, how old Joe Lewis was when he kept, when he won the world title the number keeps going up. He was 74 <laughs> years old when he won the world title. He was 85 years old, Joe. <laughs> um, that's Frank Gore, 55 years old. Um, that's right. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to the North, out of the East, into the North, altogether different uh, division. Uh, no uh, less compelling for it. Baltimore uh, clearly going to be the best in show. Pittsburgh are going to be, uh, and I say this on the basis that you know, in the end, in probably an eight and eight season, I, I can't quite believe they managed to cobble that together, given the injury issues that they had, most notably, of course, at, at quarterback. That they are going to be stronger and better uh, and be taking on Baltimore. You would think, Mike, for for the division. So let's start with the serious contenders here. Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Cleveland fans out there are probably shouting at uh, whatever device that is. What about us two? And maybe you'll put a case for them. But let's lead off with Pittsburgh and Baltimore on your next point, Mike.
1: Yeah. And the the thing that the reason I look at them together is not so much that they're the two contenders, although they are, um, but that they are two steady teams. They're very similar in in the way that they work. You know, the, the Steelers have had three coaches since what 1970 or was it or right. 69 when Chuck Knoll took over. Baltimore's had three coaches since they became a team. When yeah. now, admittedly, <laughs> that was only 96, mm-hmm. but that's still by the by the especially by the pattern of the rest of this division. <laughs> <Or at laughs> in least, particular, yeah. At, yeah, at least since Marvin Lewis. Um, you know that that's just amazing, and and. And I admire the way they do it, you know, in, in Pittsburgh, although the family is somewhat involved, you know, because they, they've grown up, there, there always seems to be a, a Rooney, um, you know, somewhere involved uh, in, in the process, but they leave it to the front office staff to do what they want. They don't make waves. They rarely make huge gambles or big signings. They, they like to bring guys up through the system and coach them in the system. They'll, they'll get undrafted. God and do that, and they they play for the long term. And Baltimore does the same thing. Ozzie Newsome, you know, learned under Belichick in Cleveland. He's not the same as Belichick. You can see, you know, you can see differences. But he does take the big picture. He does evaluate players similarly. He does believe in coaching players up. And you you think of Baltimore every year with these undrafted guys who go on to be stars like Michael Pierce this year, big free agent signings um, with other teams. And, um, Eric DaCosta, I think is, is, um, in the same mold. He's learned from, from Aussie, and he had a really great draft and he had a great draft sitting and letting the draft come to him, mm. which, you know, um, last year they traded back up into the first round. They usually trade down. They like to accumulate picks, um, but they're not afraid to give up picks to do what they want. Um, last year they traded back up into the first or two years ago, sorry, to get Lamar Jackson, right? Um, this year they pretty much sat, sat, um, and they got, um, I've got it here. So let me just count it three, six. They got six players in the first three rounds cause they had extra draft picks from trading down. Um, and they got two more in round four and five, all of whom I think will contend to be starters, right? on that team. And and that there aren't many teams who's, I mean, there are teams where you can say, okay, they got five or six good players here, but not five or six who are really in a, in a position to be able to start if they're as good as the, as the team thinks they are. So, you know, I think they've had some losses, but I think they're in a pretty good place um, to be able to overcome those. And I think, Lamar Jackson's going to be a whole lot better this year because they're going to have a better group of receivers because of those rookies. One of them is um, Devin Duvernay from uh, Texas, and another one was um, James Proche who I thought was a steal in round six from SMU. He's more of a slot receiver, but um, and Duvernay is more of a deep target. But they're basically the same size. They've got almost the same speed. Um, they both you know, pretty good hands. And, you know, when you add them into um, Brown and Boykin and and Willie Snead and maybe more, um, I think that's going to be a decent set of receivers. They, you know, they lost Austin Hooper, but, but the real key tight end for them is Mark Andrews because he's the two way guy who's the matchup problem for, for defenses. Um, And they, they didn't really move um, to replace him automatically. Although, they took an undrafted guy who if he weren't hurt right now, I think could probably help them out. But, um, but they realized that that pass receiving tight end spot that Hooper filled is one that they can probably fill, you know, if not with the guys they've got then with someone on the waiver wire or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, I just like the way they think. And, you know, they've, they, um, they got a bunch of guys to throw at the offensive line positions, but you know, you know that they want big linemen who are mostly road graders. Uh, They have to be able to move now with Lamar Jackson to run that kind of offense. But um, I don't have any problems with that. And I thought JK Dobbins Mm. was probably the best running back in the draft.
0: Really? Wow. Okay.
1: Um, Now he's not necessarily, he's a runner. Um, He's not necessarily, you know, teams that wanted a a two-way guy. I can understand why a couple of the other guys who went before him went before him. But he's just a runner, you know, a a Mark Ingram-type runner. Uh, And that's, you know, Ingram's not going to have that much time left. So it's a move. If he doesn't play right away, it's a a move um, for the future. And, you know, they sat there in the round one and they got Patrick Queen, um, yeah, who everybody you know, is a
0: kind of go-now player, right?
1: Everybody thinks so, yeah. In that inside linebacker spot, he's, he's like sideline to sideline. And, you know, I thought Jordan Brooks, who went the pick before him, went to Seattle. And in my mock draft, I'd had Brooks going to Baltimore with – after Queen went to Seattle, right. so they, they they fooled me and they flipped. But but either one of those guys is, is a is a right away starter. Yeah. Um, and considering they had lost Mosley and Ona Wunsu, who who wasn't starting, but but yeah, still went away. I, I think that I just marvel at the way they're able to do this year in and year out.
0: Well, uh, really, really uh, clearly explaining why they are what clearly going to be one of the contenders for uh, for the North, the contenders in the AFC once again. How. Or why did they blow it against uh, in the playoffs against the Titans? It's an, interesting,
1: it's an interesting question. I think they were trying to play a bit of double bluff, mm. knowing, knowing the pits, that Tennessee was going to stack the box to stop the run. They thought they'd be able to pass them crazy. Uh, and the Titans were smart enough and effective enough to not let them do that. Uh, And then when they got behind, they had to play the pass, which made life a lot easier. Um, But, you know, you don't want Lamar Jackson throwing the ball 51 times. You you know, you don't want to be in a position where you can come close to that. Uh, And so so that, to me, that, to me, explained – that and Mike, know you
0: in that game to you mike demonstrate this is obviously this is how you beat the the ravens because they beat the ravens but was that quite a significant game plan and that other teams will try and uh you know apply the same principle i'm I'm
1: sure they will i'm sure they will um it's a difficult one to to exercise because your um your edge players have to be particularly good at not giving up that option or at least restricting it, so that you know it takes a, a couple of beats more to execute than it would normally um, and that 's that 's smart coaching you have your players have to be aware of, of of what to look for but yeah teams teams will make it harder for Baltimore this year I think that 's why they went out and got a couple of receivers they might use um, was to give them more options in that game so that they weren 't um, reliant on play action to the tight ends as much because people overlook too that Jackson was a pretty good passer in college. Um, you know, for some reason he didn't get enough credit. A lot like Teddy Bridgewater, only Bridgewater wasn't a runner the way Jackson is, but he seemed to be labeled that way. But Bridgewater was actually a pretty accurate pocket passer. Um, so, yeah, I like I like their perspectives, but it's going to be tough for them. You talked about difficulty of schedule. It's going to be tough for them to match that this year, especially with Pittsburgh um, with a healthy Ben.
0: Yeah, um, let's, let's talk about that. healthy Ben, a healthy James Conner, they would hope. Juju as well, of course, who was, was, was banged up. They didn't have a first-rounder because of the, the Mika Fitzpatrick deal, but they did take a receiver, Chase Claypool, in the second round. So clearly offensively, when they ranked 30th in the NFL last season, they had Duck Hodges, Mason Rudolph. Uh, uh, different young players coming in, trying to get something going, and, and not able to. They're going to be an altogether different proposition offensively, provided everyone stays fit. What about defensively, Mike? Where are Pittsburgh defensively?
1: Well, you know that um, losing your middle guard is is never is never easy, um, and and that was in a three-four defense. You know when you when you have when you have a kind of um, domin- dominant dominant. Um, middle garve like like Javon Hargrave was um that's tough that's tough to replace but otherwise they're they're pretty solid um you know and T.J. Watt has been a better player than I think a lot of people um figured he would be I, I if I'm not mistaken Bud did I think Bud Dupree might have ap- opted out um but I think they've got p- potential uh to replace him drafted Highsmith um with their second pick um and the safety the secondary has always been a problem for them and i'm I'm not sure that they've done enough in the secondary um to be able to be able to um improve uh and they'll be more dependent on winning by putting points on the board mm. uh and then and then watching as teams as teams try to uh, catch up to them um and that's, that's going to be an interesting, an interesting scenario. Um, in a way, they're like Ben and ben in the offense is a little like um, Aaron Rodgers and where, you, where you have like one designated receiver who's <laughs> going to be your favorite guy. And I think they're trying to move away from that, which is one of the reasons that, uh, that Claypool, Claypool is there. But they need somebody like James Washington to step up. I like Deontay Johnson a lot. Mm. Uh, I think he's, he's a really good receiver. Um, Mike, just on,
0: on that on, and Juju in particular and Juju since Antonio Brown uh, and, and this concept of a number one receiver and, uh, and a number two receiver almost pushing the same levels of output that Juju did, of course, in the final season they played together with Brown and then how that changes and you can't be the number one or you're not up to being the number one. Talk through how that has worked in Pittsburgh and whether you buy into that argument that Juju ultimately isn't a number one. If,
1: yeah, if you're a coach, you don't want that argument really, because you want everybody to think that they're going to get the ball either when a play is drawn up for them or when you know when there's various options on it, and if they can get themselves open, they're going to get have a quarterback who can get them the ball. The problem when you got someone like Duck Hodges is there is that he's he, he won't have the nows very few guys have Ben Roethlisberger's pocket presence to stand in long enough to find secondary receivers. And when you have an Antonio Brown, he can get open against anybody at any level, which is why he was sort of the number one receiver. I thought he was, but to have, you know, if it becomes a point where your two players are arguing about it um, and who should see the most balls, that's the negative for the team. You, you, that's an argument you don't want to have. You, you know, you, want both, you may want both guys to think they're the number one receiver, but you want them to, you know, you, for a team's sake, you want them to be the equivalent uh, receivers. And, and um, you want them to be able to take advantage of a team double teaming one or the other. And you well, know. that
0: brings us kind of nicely to Cleveland. And Cleveland since Cincinnati, of course, <laughs> the other two teams in this, uh, in this division. You look at the, the strength in depth, quite obviously, particularly offensively, with this Cleveland roster or on this Cleveland roster. And, and Odell Beckham, the poster boy, uh, of course, there, Jarvis Landry, and I'm interested to know who you think the number one out of those two is. Uh, you've got Chubb, of course. I mean, there's talent a plenty, but they flattered to see there was so much expectation, but uh, I think going into last season, but a real sense of there's going to be another Cleveland dysfunctional crash. And, <laughs> there, and there, there was, and there's been whole scale change on the coaching side. So where do Cleveland sit this time around? Is the new regime going to be able to deliver the potential this roster clearly has by now?
1: It's a, that's, it's an interesting one because you know, Stepansky, um, is not quite a Stefanski. I mean, he's not quite a wonder kid like a uh, Matt LaFleur or, or Zach Taylor say, um, but his record is a really strange one because he was at Minnesota all that time. And, you know, he became, he became quarterback coach um, when they got rid of their quarterback coach in mid he became offensive coordinator when they got rid of D Filippo in, in um, mid season. And last year, Although he was the offensive coordinator, it really seemed as if Gary Kubiak was running the offense, um, and Kubiak's now the offensive coordinator, which kind of makes makes the point more, more clearly. And so the question is what kind of an offense he wants to have. And it was interesting to me that they went out and signed Case Keenum, mm. who had a very successful year in Minnesota. But not successful (laughs) enough that they really wanted to retain him um, over Kirk Kirk Cousins, and you know he's always going to be that kind of guy you want to move on from. But but I think I think Stepansky is is looking at that. Kind of play-action rollout West Coast kind of thing, which which should suit Baker Mayfield. Mm. Um, now, whether it suits the receivers is another story. It depends on how Beckham wants to play, and what you were saying about number one receivers. In one sense, Beckham is a deep guy, and Landry is is a guy to run across the middle, um, get make the difficult catches. But in reality, they should both be able to do a bit of each. Beckham should be able, and I mean I've watched. I've seen him do it when, when he was with the Giants in particular. He, sh- he should be able to run the intermediate routes and make the tough catches over the middle, right. which, prob- which probably drags somebody else out of the way. And, and then someone some of the receivers no one pays attention to might, might be able to make a catch. And I still love Kaderil Hodge, the guy who was on the Rams, you know, like practice squad guy who made a big push at the end of the season and made a couple of catches. Um, so, so, you know, I, I, I sort of like that, but I look at their signing Hooper um, and drafting Harrison Bryant, who is probably the best pass-catching tight end in the class, um, but he's a one-dimensional tight end, and David Njoku. So they've got three talented pass-catching tight ends. And to me, that says they're going to do a lot of two tight end, two wide receiver sets. Ooh. And if you're in that kind of a thing, you really want your guys to be able to do everything. You know, that's what he did. That's what they did in Minnesota with, with, um, with Diggs and Phelan. Mm. A lot of two wide receiver sets, you know, who's the third receiver or Treadwell? Where's he? Over on the sidelines, you know? (laughs) Um, But, you know, and I think that can work, you know, I think in a funny way that might make both those guys more effective. Yeah. If they share, if they share the, share the wealth with those tight ends. And of course, you know, with, with Hunt coming out of the backfield and Nick Chug chugging along, you know, that's, that, that's a dynamite offense. If, it if is. they can, if they can execute and, and if Willis can be their left tackle, the first round draft pick, right. You know, in a pretty good da- draft for tackles, you know, that gives them a pretty solid offensive line too. you know, Conklin on one side, yeah, right. Betonio, who we met, you remember a couple of summers ago, he was a lot of fun. <laughs> Um, you know, I, and that, thats not my consideration for saying a guy's a good lineman if, that he was. But it's of, got a bit factors but It a lot of fun, but yeah, Conklin, it doesn't hurt.
0: Conklin's a great was a great signing, and and that was clearly a, pr- a problem last season. I, I mentioned that in relation to my next question about Baker Mayfield because he regressed last year. Mike, there's no doubt about yes. that. His completion rate was down. Um, uh, he, uh, he rarely looked comfortable. Uh, we talked a lot about May, uh, Baker having this moxie and this ability to uh, ha- bring the X factor in, in, in the way that, that better or more accomplished quarterbacks than him at the moment, like Russell Wilson, Rodgers, uh, Lamar, uh, these quarterbacks that can make something happen, can keep things alive. And, and the, the hype about Baker is certainly coming into the, the league Was he was one of those kind of players. we see seen flashes of it, but he hasn't put anything consistent together. I guess a lot of that was down to to the coaching he was getting and obviously the, the poorest line that he had. So by strengthening that, and to your point on the weapons around it, are we going to see a, a stronger Baker Mayfield? I guess it's it's almost make or break for him this season, isn't it?
1: Kind That's of, possible. yes. And if Stefanski if is um, as smart, as, you know, he's, as he's supposed to be. And, and the thing everybody says about him is well organized, <laughs> you know, on top of the situation. If he, if he is that, I think we will, I think we will, because I think you'll see an offense geared to Mayfield's strong points, which are coming off play action, um, playing from a moving pocket, not necessarily just dropping straight back and, and looking for guys downfield. And I think part of what happened last year was, was Freddie Kitchen's should have been an offensive coordinator for that team. Mm. And, and he had too much else to worry about and not, not a good enough sense as to what they needed in order to do what he wanted to do. So they were left, like you say, with a weak offensive line, you know, and, and not necessarily weapons that he utilized in the best way possible, given that bad offensive line.
0: Cincinnati, things are looking up, kid, for, for the Bengals, of course. But Joe Burrow, always difficult to come in as a, a rookie quarterback in, in the NFL and, and, and perform at, at, at a capable level in, in your first season, extra pressure with the number one overall, even more so with the off season that he's had, right? Which is totally unlike any other off season first rounders, number one. Overall. Yeah. I think
1: that's probably a point we could have made earlier, you know, that teams that are depending on young players being coached into the system by the, by opening day are not going to be successful. Um, there are very few players who are going to, you know, without, e- without having practice, um, lots of contact practice and, and full-scale exhibition games to play in, who are going to be able to do that. Um, and Ryan Finley is probably not what you want as your starting quarterback going into the season. Um, and, but I just hope that, there, that Zach Taylor, who is the second most famous Zach Taylor in American history, um, is... Um, At the moment. Know, yeah up. yeah he could pass the old he could pass <laughs> sure. the 1840s president we, um, never we never know um but you know i think i hope he's got enough cl- clout to be able to decide you know honestly when he is or isn't ready um it's an interesting thing you know because he's gonna, Zachary, start, he's
0: gonna start week one isn't he i,
1: don't, I mean I, I, you have to assume so but but if he's not ready he's not ready you know and and how many times have we seen players thrown into those situations sure. And it set them back. I mean, mm. there's there's so many examples of that. Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of being a, a, an idealist here, mm. as opposed to a realist. And so, realistically, I think you're right. He probably does play, but I'm not convinced he'll be ready um, to play. Remember, it's an interesting thing to look at too. The way these things, Jake Fromm, you know, he, well, he Burrow transferred out of Ohio State because he couldn't beat out J.T. Barrett. Mm. Or Dwayne Haskins, mm-hmm. you know, he knew that when Barrett left, Haskins was going to be the starter, not him. So he so he went as a free agent to. I've given up saying transfer in college football. I now just say free agent because that's okay. basically what they are. He's a free <laughs> okay. went as a free agent to L, to LSU. The thing I love about the Bengals, you know, and I, I was trying to make a comparison, you know, because um, Mike Brown, Mike Brown is kind of like. Um, Kevin Costner in draft day. Nice. You know, it's his father's team. He coached it, he ran it. Um, you know, like the Cleveland Browns and then the Bengals. Yeah, and, and um, it's kind of like the curse of the Bengals that they, they've got Art Modell's team in Baltimore, <laughs> right. you know, the ex, the old Browns still beating them. But it's such a nepotistic business. Zach Taylor is Mike Sherman's son-in-law, right? When he played at Nebraska, he married Mike Sherman's daughter. Um, I'm sorry. He, well, he didn't play for Sherman in Nebraska. But he married Mike Sherman's daughter. He played for Bill Callahan at Nebraska, who's the former Oakland head coach, right? The line coach. His offensive coordinator is Brian Callahan, who's Bill Callahan's son.
0: Not going to this.
1: Um, Yeah, their total combined age is 74, which means that the two of them are one year older than Wade Phillips. Um, (laughs) Taylor, right, Taylor's claim to fame was the season as the Rams quarterback coach under fellow wonderkind Sean McVay. McVay is John McVay's grandson, (laughs) who was the GM of the 49ers. Um, His O-line coach was... Jim Turner, who got fired by the Dolphins during Bullygate, you remember, right. um, but was also at Texas A&M with Mike Sherman, uh, where where Zach Taylor started coaching, um, <laughs> and um, Jim Turner played his college ball at Boston College under Jack McNeil, my old buddy from World League, and the receivers coach on the Bengals is Bob McNeil, yeah. who's Jack. It's like a family <laughs> reunion, and it's like you know, it's it is worse than a medieval guild. <laughs> um, as, as to how as to how these things work, so you know, I, I just think this is a great test of Zach Taylor and his ability. And I'm guessing,
0: based on all of that, you're not buying him at the moment. Whereas the jury's out.
1: Uh, the jury is out, you know. And um, Mike Brown, I, I don't put Mike Brown out of the, the possibility that he could, you know, somehow blow this. Um, you know, it seemed like they toyed around with whether or not they would draft Burrow. Um, now they they did take T Higgins, yeah, which was good because it gives them potentially a really great receiving group if AJ Green is healthy mm-hmm. and if any of these guys who they've been drafting for years, like um, John Ross and uh, Tyler Boyd and, you know, Erickson um, are signing for years. You know, if any of them can come through as the third receiver, then, then they're pretty much loaded on that, um, on that receiving well, front. Boyd had
0: a thousand-yard season. So yeah,
1: I mean. and can he do it again, you know, when Green comes back? And the interesting thing is the Browns signed an undrafted guy, a cornerback named A.J. Green. so if he makes the team you could literally have A.J. Green covering A.J. Green and it's always as good as the Cam Jordan
0: Jordan Cameron matchup um. yeah
1: (laughs) if that's the case you know who he's going to um, to look for
0: it's going to be one of them
1: and of course you know defensively they do have talent um, Mm. you know especially up front Uh, so you know I, I think I think it's the Bengals will probably will be better than last year I think if 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 they don't suffer from burrow playing too soon in other words yes. if he doesn't come in and make a lot of like learning mistakes yeah. um and cost them a few games early on um so few quarterbacks have been able to come in and and be really successful and a couple of the famous ones who were like roethlisberger did so because they controlled the team kept them under wraps
0: right it didn't a lot. It wasn't an expansive role yeah. to play within the team that's a fair point <laughs> Lovely stuff from Iron Mike. More where that came from. Plenty more where that came from. In fact, part two of our AFC preview dropping very very shortly. So keep your eyes peeled for that one. Hey, if you haven't already subscribed to us, and will automatically drop into your pod catcher of choice. So the AFC preview part two. Coming your way very, very shortly. The NFC, of course, we will be taking care of in due course. You can count on it, gang. So make sure you keep your eyes peeled for more where that came from. Hope you enjoyed. Catch up with you soon. Bye for now. Sports
1: Social Podcast Network.